From ThatShelf.com, this is Black Hole Films. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. What's a black hole film, you ask? Well, you know those films you always meant to get around to watching, but you never did for whatever reason? Well, that's what they are. And this podcast is all about embracing them and checking those films off our lists and talking about them and whatever else happens to come up. I'm Canadian filmmaker Jeremy Lalonde, and I will be your host. You can follow me on Twitter at LalondeJeremy, or check out my website, JeremyLalonde.com, for more information on me and my projects. If you like the show, please subscribe to it, rate, review it, and leave a comment on whatever platform it is you're listening. It really does make a difference in helping to get more ears tuning in. And if you like this show, check out the others on the ThatShelf.com family of podcasts. And without further delay, let's get into this week's film. This is episode 206, and today I'm joined by actress Merla Wex from The Beaverton, as well as Norm Wilner, head senior film writer from Now Magazine, as well as from the podcast Someone Else's Movie, and last but not least, director of photography Rob Scarborough, who you've seen films from, like Room for Rent, as well as TV series like Baroness Von Sketchshell. And we're going to sit down and watch a film together. So we're sitting down via isolation to watch City of... No, Streets of Fire, right? I almost said City yeah. on Fire. That's, that's City, City on Fire is the <laughs> Hong Kong movie, the Ringo Lam film that uh, Tarantino borrowed from for uh, Reservoir Dogs. Whoa. Yeah, that's... Uh, oh, I, I knew that too, but it's like Streets of Fire. I, I, I kept, I, I've been saying the wrong the whole time I've been thinking about it because of that. Right. Uh, anyway, I'm Jeremy. I have not seen this film. Uh, I am Rob, and I have also not seen this film. Also joining us are Marilla. Hello, I'm Marilla. I have not seen this film. And last but not least, the reason why we're watching this movie. Yes, (laughs) I'm Norman. This is my fault. Um, (laughs) I don't, I I accept it gladly. I am an evangelist for Streets of Fire. Nobody else is going to like this. I accept this. This is a movie that is the product of a certain time in a certain place. And... uh, I honestly, I'm dying to find out how it plays for everybody because we, you know, we were talking about this last week in the 48 hours episode, which I hijacked and turned into a streets of fire episode, which I am (laughs) doing all over again, except now it is in the title. Yeah. Yeah, So it's the same director, uh, Marilla and, 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 uh, Norm gave a very passionate pitch on it and I'd never heard of it. And just the way he described it is like, holy fuck, I I gotta, I'm going to watch that anyway. So we decided we might as well do an episode. Do you, yeah, know anything husband, about, I, do you know, do you know anything about it? it? No, and I, I said, what, my husband was like, what are you watching tonight? And I was like, Streets of Fire. And he's like, is Kevin Bacon in that? I'm like, I have no idea, dude. It feels like it could be a Kevin Bacon movie, but I don't think it is. So I know so, nothing. You know, so the, I mean, we should probably, I shouldn't even tell you what Rob and I were told by Norm. It's, it's, I, I, I think it's almost more fascinating for you to go into this completely yeah. cold. He started looking on IMDb and like, do you want to know who's in it? I'm like, no, I want to know nothing. I want to be horrified just like out of the box. All I'm going to say is that I'll, I'll, just so you don't think about it, Kevin Bacon's not in it. Okay. I won't so be looking don't, for yeah, Kevin Don't wait for Kevin Bacon. Is that Kevin Bacon? No. <laughs> Bill Paxton's in it. It's almost over. Don't, yeah, you just ruined that. And I didn't just know Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton's one of my favorite actors of all time. You know? it, Norm. You'll be very happy to see him. I will Trust be happy me. to see him. You have well, no was, idea what's coming. I'm assuming because <laughs> it was this director. So this director, Marilla, just to bring up the speed on the, the history leading into this movie, is that this, this is the same director that made 48 Hours, 
Um, and so apparently like the movie did so well that he was kind of given carte blanche to make his passion project. And this was it. Is it like, is it going to be like cop rock? Am I going to be like amazed, disturbed and slightly aroused? It's not <laughs> as weird as cop rock. No, like, well, cop rock, like we had that, that experience where somehow everyone rediscovered cop rock this year. Thanks to John Oliver. Uh, cop rock was the musical that Stephen Bochco made after Hill street blues. Uh, given carte blanche there, it's like, well, I want to do one that's a musical. I want to break the fourth wall and have people sing about being child molesters. And they let him. And it is what it is. In this case, um, Walter Hill made 48 Hours, but before 48 Hours, he'd also made stuff like Hard Times with Charles Bronson and The Driver with Ryan O'Neill and The Warriors. Uh, all these serious, heavy, masculine like guy movies for studios that made money every single time. And then with 48 Hours, which as we discovered last week is remembered as a comedy, but really isn't. Uh, he just, he whacked it out of the park. He had this massive hit with Paramount and Universal said, okay, here is $40 million. I was wrong, actually, sorry. It was only $14 million. I'd misheard that years ago and it just stuck in my brain. But they said like, here's $14 million, make the movie of your dreams. And this is the movie of his dreams. Oh my God, that was a lot of money in 1984. It really yeah, was. Totally. It's so all I on think... the screen. I mean, you'll see, but <laughs> That's yeah. Good. I'm excited. It's, it's not, it didn't end up just in a Coke pile? No, amazingly <laughs> enough. Um, there, I'm almost like, I'm certain there was massive drug use, but uh, <laughs> that was all uh, craft services budget. Apparently most of the money is on screen. Okay, great. Well, I think that's and a good p- pitch to lead in. Go ahead. Go ahead. One more thing. Yeah, one more sad thing. Jim Steinman died today, and he wrote a couple of the songs. No oh. way. Yeah. So we're recording this on the, the day of Jim Steinman's death. He was 73 years old. He lived a grand life, and he wrote, at the very least, the opening and closing numbers uh, for Ellen Aim and the Attackers. So oh, this is a musical. I'll tell you that much. You, that already, part, I, you I, gotta I, stop, I Norm. You yeah. gotta stop yourself. Spoilers. It's like, it's like the Matrix. You only think you know what it is. You have to experience it for yourself. <laughs> fair. fair, fair. So we, we will dedicate this this podcast episode in his honor, and we will watch it with, hopefully, glee in his memory. See you on the other side. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. And we just finished. Marilla's mouth is agape. I feel like I spent at least, I'm going to say, 67% of the movie with a springtime for Hitler face. (laughs) Nice. Uh, First of all, that was not a musical. (laughs) That's bullshit. I was so, I mean, here's the thing. My only disappointment with the movie was that there was not more musical. So you thought that like diegetic singing, like people singing songs about what they were doing, that kind of thing? Well, it wasn't. I mean, it's usually it's usually in situation a musical. That that's it's more like a rock opera than or something, right? Like it. it I, I wouldn't call that a musical. You know, I, yeah. I would say more that's towards true. that, which is fine. I'm actually I'm much rather that in this situation. I kind of thought it fit well. Yeah, I, I like yeah, that. I mean, it's about a rock and roll fable fit, like the way it was described <laughs> yeah, in the opening a rock credits. And roll fable, that is for sure. Another yeah. time, another place. <laughs> of course, <laughs> make it super vague so no one questions where the fuck it is or what time right. it is. Like, is it the fifties or is it two thousand? <laughs> You know, twenty one. Hey man, I'm in for that. I'm okay. It's like, look, it's like, it doesn't fucking matter. It's it's weird and cool. Oh yeah, I I agree with that one hundred percent. I I just kept shouting at the screen like Rick Moranis, <laughs> Ed Begley Jr. Like I was 
Bill Paxton? I was like, yeah, it was a lot of me shouting at myself looking at the TV. Oh, yeah, there's, uh, there's so many good I, people. I want to read a quote from Walter Hill on the origins of the film. I'm sure I'm sure. Please, give me, give me some clues. Uh, <laughs> uh, he, the desire to make the film came out of what he thought was a perfect film when he was a teenager and put all the things in that he thought were great then, which I still have great affection for. Custom cars, kissing in the rain, neon, trains in the <laughs> night, high-speed pursuit, rumbles, rock stars, motorcycle, Jokes in tough situations, leather jackets, <laughs> and questions of honor. It literally is all of those. He just was oh like, I God. like all of those things. Let's put them all together. Yeah, George Lucas say- made Star Wars. Walter Hill did this. <laughs> and can I just say, the brakes on that bus sounded exactly like when the Millennium Falcon breaks down. <laughs> beep, and then he has to hit the dash and all yeah. the lights come back it on. It might be the same exactly. sound library. <laughs> I wouldn't be and surprised. Also, the kissing was the most awkward screen kissing because it wasn't fifties kissing where we're just rubbing yeah. chins. There was like, oh, is he, is he going to put his tongue in or is it just going to be like? It looked awkward for now. sure. No question. It's yeah. the kind of kissing that used to drive uh, my friend, who's a script supervisor, nuts because she's like, she had to take her hands off because she's like, I don't want to hear the kissing sounds. It was that kind of kissing. It was really noisy. Was kind of gross. It was wet. It was a wet uh, in the rain. It's that's just how it works. Have you ever kissed in the rain? It looks just like dude. That. He didn't close his mouth properly. That would have been drool. I was not happy with that kiss. <laughs> that was a not COVID friendly kiss. That's for sure. I guess any kiss is a non COVID friendly kiss. <laughs> Again, you know that much cocaine, your nasal passages are blown. You have to have your mouth open. You can't. So the, 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 cra- the crazy part that we read after the uh, movie was that that's a set the entire thing are sets yeah. he didn't want to go to Chicago so they built it in LA the whole thing is amazing like, 10 days of shooting in Chicago in the end they actually did shoot on yeah. the L like they got their own train on the L uh, that they ran overnight with two motormen like it was this whole deal they just kept throwing money at problems and so most times you know if you if you if you've ever taken the subway, there's a pause when at the end of the line where you go to the other where the motorman has to go to the other train, the conductor, to start from the back, which is now the front, and drive again. So they would have lost, I don't know, like six or seven minutes every time, and they didn't want to do that. So they just paid two drivers so that as soon as they pulled into the station, they pulled right back out again and went in the opposite direction. So they couldn't so they didn't have to stop shooting. So the train is actually like it's not blue, it's not uh, green screen or backdrop. It's actually a moving train that they're shooting scenes on. Um, and then what's crazier though, (laughs) is that all the scenes on set on the backlot in, in universal in the Los Angeles, sorry, all the scenes in the universal backlot in Los Angeles were shot during the day. They tarped it. They covered the whole thing because they couldn't shoot at night because of all the explosive noises. They, they're like too close to Toluca Lake or something. There's this, there's a, a there's a documentary on the Blu-ray that is longer than the film about <laughs> all of these things. And it's, the nonsense. It's fascinating though, because every single decision, every single creative decision was driven by, this is so big that we have to do it this way. Uh, right down to the fact that the original songs, because originally like the, the thing that Walter Hill wanted to do was score it with 50s doo-wop and have that tell the story. And then which, Universal which, like, said, yeah, sorry. No, oh, sorry. Well, Universal said like, uh, we're spending so much money on this. We need to sell a soundtrack. We need an original soundtrack album. I and so the there soundtrack. you go. The Thank soundtrack is fantastic. It's on Spotify. I found it already. Uh, the, you got it? Um, yeah. yeah, the crazy part was, I, I found like this, the music did not fit half of the movie. Maybe 50% of it fit and the other 50% was like completely bananas, off the rails, 
it's like a serious scene and something's about to die or something. And it's like, you know, yeah, it's like this crazy fucking rock song that was so upbeat. It was like, it was like from, uh, from the Ghostbusters or something from like the soundtrack from Ghostbusters. It was right around that time. Like right from there. And it's, so it's, it felt like a comedy at times, but then it was, and then there was serious. And then sort there of. was, the, it's very, it's very yeah, confusing. And then the, the, <laughs> the rockabilly bar has a dancer that does not fit in a rockabilly Whoa, bar. Can I just say, I you know really wanted McCoy to get with her. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's intentional. That was like, she was amazing. And wearing a lot of mesh, I felt for her <laughs> bum crack because that was like some kind of like floss she had up there. And I felt like McCoy and her should have got together. That would have been that would have pleased me greatly. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, all. For, for having seen other Walter Hill movies, a great deal of restraint in not going around on the other side of that uh, that scene when she takes her top off. And exposed herself. We don't get to see it, which I was shocked there, by. There was a that. hint of nip that I enjoyed hugely. There's a hint. Yeah, there was there was <laughs> bottom a boob. Nip, a nip hint. A nip, nip hint. But it's like there was no boob, which in the, a movie like this, of course there would be boob. Yeah. And it's the 80s. No boob, no cursing to PG release. They actually oh. did try to mass market it. Well, I mean, as much as you can, something like this. And you know who the woman was, the dancer. It's It was Jennifer Beale's body double from Flashdance, which was the other gigantic uh, cultural I, thing of that moment. I, I, I was looking at, like, on IMDb to try and find out who that person was to go look them up. But that's, thank you, Norm, you did it for me. Mm-hmm. Well, it was a big deal at the time because it was you'd never seen her face in a movie before. Yeah. It was the first right. time she played anybody. Walter Very Hill cool. intended this to be the first in a, 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 a Cody trilogy. Yes. Oh, man. The original Cody? title was The Adventures of Tom Cody, which, again, no. <laughs> Streets of, I'm Street sorry. Of I mean, like, halfway through the movie, I was like, fuck off, Cody. I want the Nebishi guy. I would have, I mean, this will come as no surprise to anybody who knows me. I would have taken the fetching Nebishi little Rannis character by the end. Cody's just a dick. He was, yeah. Like, how you, I thought, like, he was, well, I mean, yes, he does. He does knock her out to He's save her. A so sociopath. <laughs> that's I mean, that's not, not a good guy. No, but I mean, but Rick Moranis is also like a piece of shit too. I mean, the whole the whole time he's just complaining about stuff and. But he doesn't beat her. Here's thing: he punches her so she doesn't end up in another fight, which is like, so you just don't want other people to hit her. <laughs> no, you don't want this to think solve the problem. It doesn't end well. Yeah, Walter Hill you, movie from the eighties. Only I get to hit my girl. Jesus, I, I feel Christ. like I feel like I mean, I mean, I gotta say, I enjoyed every ounce of that, though. Like, I enjoyed every single thing about that. Like, except I, for that, I, lo- I love. I mean, as as like a camera, like a cinematographer. I mean, I fucking, I think it looked amazing. That like, every frame of that film is like yeah, a photograph. That movie's neon budget it's, is more than every film I've made combined. <laughs> and can we have some more low angle shots of cars going through puddles, please? Oh yeah, and it just yeah. hose down the streets every every, sen- every second you get. Every you know? street is a wet down neon in every shot. I love that. I mean, it looks amazing. That looks beautiful. It's a beautiful yeah. looking film. The one other thing that stuck with me from the documentary is the way they shot the initial concert, um, the Ellen Aim and the Attackers performance of Nowhere Fast, which is like, while you're watching it, the greatest song ever written, uh, even though it's like six minutes long and just <laughs> never stops and just keeps escalating. But I, I love that song so much. That and, and right. is what it's, it means to be young. So what they, what they did was they shot it in a theater in Los Angeles with 500 extras. Um, they had to choreograph the scene where... 
uh, where Raven and the bikers rushed the stage because otherwise people would have just smashed into each other and gotten like pure mayhem that would have gotten killed. And what they did was because they wanted to get every possible angle on the songs, on the performances, even though they were sunk to a playback and everything else, they shot every song at least three times with three different F-stops. So it would cut together no matter what they were doing, which is why sometimes it's incredibly bright and sometimes it's murky and weird, but it just gives you this incredible disorienting entry into the movie. And I don't even know that that was their intention, but within two minutes, it's like, I've never seen anything like this. This just won't stop. Yeah, I mean, it felt like a like a like a that felt like a rock documentary kind of thing, right? Like it looks, looks like we're it's like the '80s version of the Last Waltz or something. It's like, you know, that but it went on for so long. I was like, usually the intro of a movie is like two minutes of that, and you're in, or put credits over that. They didn't even put credits over that shit. Nope. <laughs> I gotta say, the way you pitched this to me, I, I I am shocked this movie didn't do better. Given that it's like it's not weirder than some other stuff that did yeah. well in the '80s. Yeah, but it came out against really? like the summer of 1984. So it was up against Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and Ghostbusters oh. and Gremlins. Oh, wow. It was just, it oh, was wow. the wrong kind of specific weirdness, I think. Right. People just didn't want to see, like the same reason the thing tanked against E.T. It was just not what people wanted next. Right. And something this strange and idiosyncratic comes out and everybody was just like, oh, no, I don't like that. I just, I, I know what this is and I don't like it. And they never went to see it. They just saw the trailer and was like, too weird, not bothering. Yeah. Fair. Yeah, but it, what it is is so like it's so much fun when Willem Dafoe shows up and he doesn't even look human in half those shots. Yeah, I know he really doesn't. He's got they're just rolling with it. No, PVC waders. Oh, well, we were just talking yeah, about we that. Were, we were talking. We about were that. saying how Earth, we have a theory about well, that. You tell Please. your theory. Well, my, my my theory. My theory is like fuck. my my theory no. is that like no, the, you said that if you were the director. Yeah, if I no, if I if I I bet you the costume designer got there. She, he had a jacket. No, no, that's I added that. You're you're full of shit. Or, or yeah, sorry. Yeah. Said, so I said he 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 got there with a jacket. I said Walter Hill was like, take the jacket off. That looks that looks better. Yeah, that was what I said. You said that that you would have added a jacket, and I was like, I bet you the jacket was there, and Walter Hill took it off. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. Walter Hill was like, if I knew the jacket was going to be off, I never would have worn this goddamn thing. Legit, it was like what well, the bar was halfway between like a biker bar and a Frankie goes to Hollywood, <laughs> like music video it was gay as fuck i enjoyed it hugely <laughs> it was confusing it was very confusing it was the most inappropriate outfit <laughs> to be wearing yeah. in that amount of fire yeah and all 100 it, yeah it looked very flammable 100%. i think they wanted the reflection i think there was something about the way the fire looked against oh, him 100%. when he's walking through the fire it's such a weird because no one else is dressed as bananas as him that's the crazy part like so does that make him the craziest because he's dressed the craziest like when you have that's why he's confidence. the leader that's 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 the that's the logic. Yeah. He looks the craziest, so he's the craziest, I guess. Yeah. When you have who's in charge? Fun. That guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The waiters. Yeah, we're following the shiny one. That's how it works. That's what celebrity is. <laughs> who's gonna tell him? <laughs> who's gonna tell him not to wear You're that? Raven. You look like a fag. No one's gonna say that. <laughs> yeah, he's way too scary for to anyone to say that. His hair was intense. It was like it was like. Did you see in the? I don't know if you clocked this in the. Um, in the credits, but the hairstylist's name was Dagmar. I think that explains everything. The <laughs> amount of like eighties product, like the, the flips, but like that feathering like 50s and the slash eighties. Like yeah, like like the. But there was a weird. I remember this because I was fourteen when this movie came out. Like the guys would do. There was a very much a fifties throwback, certainly in the UK, where there was there were a lot of of, of DAs. Everybody was wearing their hair like a duck's a duck's ass. 
Right. Uh, so that totally fitted. It was just very strange. Every single vehicle explodes on impact in this movie. <laughs> yeah, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of explosions. He literally That's where so, the rest of the budget went was exploding vehicles. Yeah, neon and exploding vehicles. He, so he like to cause a distraction. He like causes all these motorcycles to explode randomly, mostly randomly, like just by. He shot the gas them. tank. He clearly shot the gas tank. Sure, every but every single time, if shot, one just fell, it blew up. And then, <laughs> as a getaway vehicle, he steals a motorcycle. The most flammable <laughs> of all vehicles. vehicles in this world. Yeah, well, I assume there's a story about, um, I think David Tui tells it about making Waterworld, like they were writing Waterworld or just about to break the stunts down. And the whole thing was there's no gas in the future. All cars just run on, all, all the vehicles run on diesel oil. And somebody tried to point out to one of the producers that that's impossible. Like it's practically impossible. They would be exploding all the time because they'd be leaving, they'd be leaving <laughs> exhaust on the water and the water would be flooded. Like there'd be a fire scum on every vehicle because it would just be oil that condenses or something. And whoever was handling this question just turned to the writer and said, we fix it. It's the future. It's fine. And so here, <laughs> here is the opposite because they do explode all the time. And obviously they're not running on gasoline. We just never see what you're they're saying running it's on. It's based on facts. Is what I'm saying that it's so absolute 100% factual. <laughs> also, there's that moment when they, they get, they break her out ridiculously easy. Yeah, it's very yep. easy. Eh? He, Barely like, any Literally McCoy has one gun on like eight bikers. Okay, one of them is in waders, but the <laughs> others look like they're probably packing. But here's like, the thing. Like you're telling me they have no guns. Yes, totally. They all jump in the car. Nobody's after them at that point. Well, they're afraid to get on their motorcycles again because they will explode. They will explode. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> I got to stick behind to what? Be more crazy? There's no reason for him to stick behind besides to have a face-to-face oh, yeah, that's, with yeah, yeah, yeah. Defoe. No yeah. reason for him to stick around. You guys get out of here. I'll meet you somewhere else. Besides, like, why? Get in the car. What are you I want to cause more disaster because I'm a sociopath. 100%. I assume, yeah, I assume it's that version of taking the fight to Raven, right? Because he'll just come and get her again. This way, at least, the disaster is in Raven's turf. Maybe they'll blame him for a change. I, I don't know. I can't rationalize any of this. It's it is absolutely a it's an absolute Western B movie yeah, mentality, totally. uh, and and it's another thing that that simultaneously works and doesn't work for me about the film, which is that it tries to transpose these fifties um, this fifties pop iconography onto what is basically an eighteen fifties story. Yeah, and it never really reconciles it. Like his, uh, we talked about this the last time, but the pitch for the film was in one sentence: uh, "Leader of the pack kidnaps the queen of the hops, so Soldier Boy comes home to get her." That's that is as thought through as this movie is. <laughs> well, there, I was reading a quote that was basically saying how it's like Walter Hill said the whole time. Everyone's like, "The script sucks. It's trash." And he's like, "No one cares about the script. It's the visuals. It's the visuals." And then when they're in the edit suite, 20 minutes in, and Joel Silver's like, what the fuck do we do? <laughs> yeah. How do we save this? Do you think they even did their own ADR for the fight scene? Because I'm listening to all those, uh, uh, and I'm like, no, that was 100% a bunch of voice actors. They got to do that. They did not get them to ADR no, that. Those like, are the voice of dead people. Those are 100%. all re- reused voice effects. It's a loop group and a pig's carcass, apparently. It's a 100% loop group. They were so great. These, and there was one really bad ADR line. This this is the voice actor in me. I can't. So, like, she's standing, like, McCoy's standing there over the poker game. And she's like, poker's a really fun game. And then the next line, 
especially when you got all the best cards, completely different sound. It was <laughs> what just happened. It was like they dropped the background noise. They just went, yeah, can you just say this line? Great, we've got it. That's fine. It, like, it doesn't match anything. It's like they just, at that point, they were like, fuck it, neon? I don't know. Yeah, more yeah. neon. Get some more neon there. Maybe people will be distracted only- by all the neon. I've only seen her in this movie and Uncle Buck, the one that plays McCoy. Amy Madigan. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, she's all over the place. Yeah, I mean, she's so. mostly does dramas, she's which is probably still, she's why. Like she's around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Straight-up character actor. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's married to Ed Frank. Harris for years. Yeah. Are they oh. still together? They're still married. I looked it up. Okay. Oh, good for them. Yeah, I yeah. like her a lot. She's great. Yeah, and, and it was originally that role was written for a dude. She yeah, just, yeah, yeah. She and wanted to play it. She, she was, was. She read for a different role, and then she, she said, "I want to play this." Yeah, Deborah Van Valkenburg. Who I originally? Think, I wish. Sorry, go on, Norm. Uh, no, I'm just, I'm just throwing out trivia at this point. But like, you are, I love you. in the original draft, like Riva told the story. The whole thing was a flashback narrated by her, and she was going to be the central point of view for the entire trilogy. And then, of course, that did not happen. No, they just they pulled it out even I think before they were shooting. But there, are, the documentary is filled with script pages of stuff that never made it. I want to see that. I want to see that. Yeah, yeah, when the when the COVID is over, we're coming to your garage and we're going to watch that documentary. Yeah, that's you're that more than welcome. The, uh, I, it's a fascinating piece of work. Yeah, so that's what it's like. It's fascinating because I'm just I'm just was confused a lot of times. Like not confused like by story. There's not there's no story. It's not it's not the story that's confusing. <laughs> well, we were, we it's were, just the, like what the. F- it's like we were trying to figure out where they were trying to get to and it doesn't ever talk about where they're going they're just trying to get out of the city but, but the, the city never just, ends so it's just like i don't know where the fuck these people are going there's just ever. no point of reference <laughs> to like what side of cities there are and when what happened to like the five rockabillies billies who came in and they just nicked their car it's just like we're, we're just we're never coming back here because <laughs> yeah. you beat us up you just drives it around town in front of them and stuff like oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, what the yeah. fuck with ed begley like i'm looking ed at him because I, I deliberately did look up the cast and i'm like it's fucking Ed Begley Jr. Oh yeah, what I, is yeah. I said it. I said it, as soon as I saw him, I was like, "That's Ed Begley Jr." And he's like, "No, it's not." I'm like, "It's." I'm pretty sure it's Ed Begley. Well, no, Jr. as soon as he came into full focus, yeah. I yeah. As soon as but he spoke, erudite, yeah. like well-spoken, like yeah, mutant yeah. man, randomly. And he's the yeah. dirtiest human. In the, he's like dirtier than anyone else in the film for some reason. Like way dirtier than everyone else. <laughs> yeah, I think he's our introduction into the world of the battery, which yeah, again yeah. makes no sense because which we don't really know the relationship of any there. of these places. Yeah, people no, are he's, as dirty he's as he was. Said, it doesn't make any sense from no, like a he's, character perspective. He's like, hello, I'm Ed Begley Jr. Let me tell you some things. I may be yes. dirty, but this is just how I am. Oh, thank you for the money. Goodbye. Yes, I'm the filth ambassador of the battery. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> <laughs> but there is a character just like that in Escape from New York who shows up once, looks kind of weird, and is never seen again. And I was always wondering if they just, th- like some production design point, they threw that in because they were using Escape from New York as a reference. That's the only thing that makes any sense to me. Because you're right, there's nobody else that even looks like, everyone else is showering. Yeah. yeah. No, matter, no matter what kind of apocalypse these people have all endured, they're cleaner. Yeah. <laughs> like, all the vehicles are filthy. Everybody's like very well-dressed in 80s yeah. neon. And then the vehicles are filthy, except for Cody's car that he's nicked off the rockabillies who we never see again. Right. I <laughs> yeah. don't, what? No, Ed Begley ate them. I'm sure of that. That's, that's the one <laughs> yeah. thing I know. But very yeah. politely, but, he, he's the Hannibal oh, yeah. of the battery. 
Yeah, his hands are clean. The rest of him is foul. Oh, um, but the oh, and the about the cars too. Like they, those are something like twenty classic cars that Universal bought and retrofitted into each other. Like there are Studebakers in there, and they wanted cars that weren't immediately identifiable, so they just built them. They Frankenstein all these they vehicles. They literally chopped them. Chopped up classic them. cars and That'd blew them up. Apparently there were collectors who were in tears when they found out what had happened to the vehicles. Like I just, oh it, it was like, it, it was like if the Blues Brothers had just done it with classic cars and just blown up and like trashed all of those cars. <laughs> yeah. It's the weirdest. No, it is. It's Why Norm? Why did you make us watch this? <laughs> You're my Cause, friend. Because we needed to watch a movie that had a sledgehammer fight. I'd never That's seen it true. before. Have you I ever do, seen That's right. I haven't, but I do feel like I've seen all of Willem Dafoe's cum faces now. <laughs> that was a shit face. That was a shit that, face. There's a lot of different when, faces, faces on it. extreme. When they're like doing that fight over who's going to make theirs go down first, he was looked like he was, both of them, it was like, this Taking is not shit. like a a manly... <laughs> this is this is not, not pretty. Yeah, this is not what you were going for. Yeah. You just have space pulling is not good. Yeah, you want not one moment where at least one of them registers that this was never a good idea in the first place. Yeah, yeah. and I'm sure like there's Walter Hills behind the monitor going, uh, "Can we just do one more where it doesn't look like you're shitting?" And there's like, you're, <laughs> "What we're doing is it's like, yeah, work it, move on." Like, boom, the boom, visuals boom. are great. The visuals yeah. are great. Who gives a Can, shit? Wait a minute, stop, stop, stop. Throw some neon behind it. We're good. Move on. <laughs> oh, Walter. <laughs> That's right. They're not sweaty or wet enough. They need to glisten. I want to yeah, before before I forget. I want to read. It's it's a long quote, so you have to bear with me uh, about his experience with Rick Moranis on the movie, which was not good by the sounds. Oh, of it. Because he was given a one note character to play. Well, get ready for this. This sounds like it must be out of some kind of autobiography, which I must track down. Oh no! This is Michael Pear. Oh, Michael Pear said this. I thought it was, uh, oh, damn. I thought it was the director. It was now, Hill, I'm, no. I'm less excited. But this <laughs> is what Michael Pear said about Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis drove me out of my mind. This, hey, this also, now that, now that I know this, let me preface by saying this. This makes me happier because I think Michael Pear, first of all, was terrible in this movie. Terrible. No, I don't think so. Not, I don't think so at all. He I, played I, the I part was, just fine. I, I don't think it was terrible. I think, I think, he was just said uh, like a line or two at a time the whole movie, and that was fine. That was he's fine. he's fine for the role. I don't yeah, think he's, he's a good actor. He's he's functional. Like yeah. he was cast, he was cast to be an image rather than a person. And I think you can yeah. really you he can tell they just never enough. That I'm was glad, it. He was pretty. They just okay. didn't give him anything to to do. Right. Yeah, I'm glad I figured out this quote came from him and not Walter Hill because it made me like Walter Hill less. But now. I'm really happy that it's Michael Pear. Anyway, here's, here's a quote from, from Rick, about Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis drove me out of my mind. There's this whole wave of insult comedy in the real world. If someone insults you a couple of times, you smack them or punch them. You can't do that in a movie set. And these comedians, they walk around and they swear, say whatever they want. And I'm just not that handy with all that. Comedians are a special breed. They can antagonize you and say whatever they want. And you can't do anything to stop them. He's this weird-looking guy who couldn't get laid in a whorehouse with a fistful of 50s. Not done. He would intimidate me. The first thing he says to me is, do you just act cool or are you really cool? <laughs> that was the first sentence out of his mouth Good to question. me Good in question. Joel Silver's office. And I was like, oh, this is not going to go well. <laughs> oh, I fucking love Rick Moranis so much more now. Yeah. No, he's the best. Couldn't get laid in a whorehouse with a fistful of 50s. <laughs> 
Wow. I think that's kind of great. I mean, it just tells me that Moranis was doing his job as the character, right? Just irritating him constantly to get him to do something, to give him that kind of reaction. You only Uh, get that kind of reaction about somebody when you're jealous of them. Michael Barrett is jealous of Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis is awesome. And he could get laid in that whorehouse with $10. (laughs) I think I'm going to say five. I'd fucking My money's on Moranis. This is the (laughs) the weirdest name that tune I've ever played. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, what was I going to say about Perret? Yep, yeah, like Michael Perret, he'd just come off Eddie and the Cruisers and he was playing this kind of ghostly character with this, this pop rock star who disappeared or faked his death or really died or something. The whole point of that yeah. movie is nobody really knows. And he's supposed to project this mystique and it works in that film because he looks great and he's lit to be like a legend, like a like a sort of brian wilson sort of character who never went to see who just disappeared oh, before he became on brian wilson well no no he just <laughs> but he didn't bring him into this no 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 he was i mean and the problem too is that editing the cruisers is like it's sort of quasi springsteen knockoff music it's it's none of the pieces make sense but michael perret is this presence who you never really know he's always in the background people are always talking about him and you get this sense that he's this legendary figure even though nothing in the movie really proves that out and this is another thing from the documentary. The story goes that Larry Gross, the co-writer, and Walter Hill went to see a screening of Eddie and the Cruisers when they were trying to cast Tom Cody because they had uh, Tom Cruise was offered the role and he passed. Um, Eric Roberts was going to do it and then he bailed on them before pre-production was ready. So oh, would have been great. I think Cruise would not have worked. Cruise is like in 1984. I don't think it would have worked. He's a li- he was a little guy with weird it's teeth. Not, not tough. He would have been just coming off of Risky Business, which I just watched last night. Yeah, he's good in risky business, but I don't know that he's Tom Cody in risky business. Like, I don't know he could protect that kind oh, no. of that he's physicality. He's a child in risky business. Yeah, and that was when they would have shot him. And also because Cruz would have been that young opposite Diane Lane who was 18 uh, and a oh, baby boy. child right. in that movie. And she's great. Like she is fantastically good in a, in a role that gives her almost nothing to do. No, and she, and she apparently championed hard for it. She went to the audition in like full leather uh, and really story. went for it. And that's what made Walter Hill cast her because she she committed because of her outfit. Full on rock chick. I believe it. And I also certainly believe Walter Hill doing that given the way he treats women or he, he presents women in most of his films that he would just see the surface and go for it. But sorry, so they went to see, so he and Larry Gross went to see Eddie and the Cruisers and all Larry Gross knew was, I'm going to go check out this movie. Maybe our Tom Cody is in it. And the lead in Eddie and the Cruisers is Tom Berenger. He's the one researching the story and learning about Eddie, the, this lost person played by Michael Perret. And they come out of the movie and Gross turns to Hill and says, yeah, I think Tom Berenger could do it. And Hill looks at him and says, no, the other guy. Oh, and there you are. Man. Wow. I'm sorry. It, I thought he was so lame. Like, so, Adequate. I also I just, I read I read the thing that swayed I read the thing was fine I read the thing that Walter swayed Walter Hill was that the same agent that pitched pitched him on Eddie Murphy for Forty Eight Hours pitched him on Michael Pare. Well, I can see the leap of faith there. Uh, I'm just I was always <laughs> just wait, I was always waiting for the Springsteen song to come on the streets on fi- streets of fire like that's I just don't know why you wouldn't use it. <laughs> at some point kind of money you know i, think. Yeah, I assume yeah, he just wouldn't license it well, he wasn't, credits, yeah. he wasn't doing a lot of licensing money at shit so i mean so what were you saying Norm? 
Uh, he just wasn't doing a lot of licensing at the time. I don't think I'm trying oh, to think of the music, Sp- yeah. Springsteen songs because oh, it was that, a big yeah. deal when he made Light of Day, right? That yeah, was '91, right. and those were all probably his songs. because yeah, he right. saw a cut of the movie. He's when, like, "Nah, definitely not." <laughs> yeah. No. Absolutely. So much no. You can yeah. take the name, but that's kind of where it's at. Yeah, that. you can take the name because you can because it's a name. Yeah, like, you can't. You can't copyright a song title for some weird reason. The dialogue was so bad. It was it's not so about the dialogue. No, dude, come on. You can't just yell all the lines like you're in a 50s gangster movie. You're clearly not. Clearly you can. Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> so bad. And like at the end when like McCoy and Tom are walking like, I don't know, towards the car. Or they're talking about like, yeah, so yeah, well, it was hard. Yeah, I was in love once. Yeah, it didn't go so well. Beep. I'm like, Stop talking. Why? You, <laughs> yeah, why that's such a weird scene. That's we were joking scene. around about how it's like they just shot them talking in a cool <laughs> location one time, and they just decided they could use that anywhere. That's great. It's great. Works it's, really they, well. Yeah, well they, they needed a scene to make them more human, and they just uh, they just ADR the entire thing to make them more human, essentially. Well, yeah. that's but don't, don't make her have some some guy that she had before the war, and then she became a soldier and clearly gay. I'm like, no, just have her like have a bad lover who didn't understand, and then she goes off and becomes a soldier. And like, just please, just commit to the fact that she's queer for the yeah. love of Jeebus. It's like a bunch of jokes about her being not, yes, not her like, time. calls her yeah. butch at one point. I'm like, cool, then just commit to that. Don't at the end go, yeah, I'm the well and guy turn me down and not I didn't even like notice this. That. that. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Oh, she oh, said, yeah, yeah, I loved a guy once and it didn't turn out well. I'm like, God damn it. Yeah. I, my theory is that scene, they put the dialogue there and they use the dialogue about like, so it's not working out with her. It's gonna, it's, 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 it's like, literally, She's, this is what happened. None of that scene existed. It went from like that, like shot of them post sex, super like looking drenched. Because the makeup just at, went in there with like a water cannon. What the hell? Just, just sprayed them down with a hose. And like, I guess, what happened? It went straight it from rain to sex. No, okay? no, no. no. That was just from sex. Clearly. <laughs> anyway, I'm not done. My theory from not closing his mouth properly when he kissed us. <laughs> so, so it went from that scene to the scene of the train where he hits her out of love. And they're like, oh, man. guys, people, people are, are reacting Oops. poorly to the punch. I think we need a scene where he humanizes McCoy. I think that's <laughs> right. what happened. Just yeah. before. Let's yeah. throw that in there. Yeah. Quick. And she's a little bit too gay. So can we just make her less gay? Yeah. Is that a possibility? Around the gay and just pretend and yeah, like no one will notice. Is that, is everyone cool with ex- that? Explain that she's gay because a man hurt her and not because That's the bit that pisses me off. It's like, just fucking let her be gay. Don't make it because she had a shitty relationship. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I will say having... gay, I guess. She just, I guess she just turned gay. That's yeah, it. Having that's just watched... <laughs> that's how that works. Yeah. Having just watched 48 Hours, I still think this is streets ahead on the homophobia thing. It's, it's considerably oh, more evolved yeah, than yeah, that street, film street, is. Street, 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 it's it's just uncomfortable. And the only yeah. racial slur is they call the 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 what's the band the uh... oh this, they call them the spades when it, when they get oh, in the yeah, bus the cops say yeah. that to the, the Sorrells, the Sorrells yeah. yeah he calls them the uh, the spades it's like is the yeah. most racist it gets which but they're is, the bad uh, cops the bad cops are they they should say bad shit and they said some that's their bad yeah shit. they did they reminded me of the Illinois Nazis and 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 help me Blues Brothers thank you. 
One of the one of the cops at the end there on the bus was in uh, Forty Eight Hours. I noticed. Did you notice that too, Norm? Bar- he's the bartender. He was like the bartender. For- oh, that's uh, Peter Jason, right? Oh yeah, maybe you're. I think you're right. Yeah, that's yeah. that's yeah, same I think guy. So. I was like, oh, that's the guy because we, we just watched that, you know. That's right. I, I wouldn't recognize him otherwise. So the cops, all the like, we were establishing that the cops are corrupt and yet they're not. Like, it looked like at one point yeah, they there's were, two cops. There's no, two no, no, but the, the guy the that like, the guys who are friends with like Reva are cool, and the yeah. other cops are dicks. Right. The guys who know the guy Cody from before. Cigar looked like he was in league with William Defoe, but then all of a sudden uh. he. Was like, being like, no, get out of here. It was a weird thing. Like, I was no, trying he was to figure out a good guy. He was always a good guy. The cop? Yeah, like the, the guy that chopping cigar guy was. But then here, I, riddle me this. Okay, she's she, just trying to keep the peace, man. Just trying to keep the peace. Okay, then that that does not help my next comment. <laughs> she is kidnapped. They say stolen. Oh right, right. Because oh, man. property apparently. She's kidnapped <laughs> in the middle of a concert full of people. No cop goes, there's no like investigation. Nobody goes after. They just let no, it go. No, they're just like, thanks for bringing it back. And we're not going to talk about the fact that you like shot up a bunch of police cars. Good job, buddy. <laughs> yeah. It's, no, but I'm just saying at the beginning of the movie, yeah, the fact that he has to go after her at all. Like there's, it's not. Yeah. Even oh yeah. The cops right. are doing nothing because it's torches. They're not going to go to torches. Person. You think that that would help yeah. her uh, with the. Her poster is literally everywhere in that <laughs> <laughs> Nobody goes like they they're just waiting around for this random guy to come back to town. There was no plan in place. Yeah, I'm not I'm not going to defend any of these choices in the writing. Uh, But but again, it's the Western thing, right? Like it's high noon. If everybody's afraid, they won't resist. They won't they won't challenge the bad guys. That's sort of of the guy in the pleather um, overalls in his PBC waiters. No, but then you see I'm a little scared of who I thought was going to go full game over man at the end when the when all the bikers show up he then rallies the dweebs who somehow get out hold a bunch of shotguns those aren't shotguns shooters why how i have hey. so many questions can we Where's talk the about town from we have not talked with the leaders this, this isn't the first time they've had to defend themselves i i felt <laughs> yeah they it seemed you like know? they had an organizational system going on yeah they, was very, they had a pile of guns in case they came back uh, we have not yeah. yet talked about the leader of the dweebs bill paxton oh, yeah. oh dude his hair that was the biggest hair i've ever seen yeah and it was they, high hat and they like, couldn't afford to like do anything with it too they just colored it out yeah. It's like it was like someone's decided they're going to film themselves as the kids. We're going to make a play, and we're just going to pretend you lost your tooth, and we're going to just get a black crayon. I think it's supposed to be a cap, like a like a like a tooth, like a. It was like, yeah. like cool. No, in the last scene, you could see it look more like. Um, it like literally looked like cool. makeup. Yeah. Like fuck it, yeah. we're just going to black it out. It looked uh, like someone know. drew a sharpie on. <laughs> yeah, I just assumed he did it himself to look cool, like the character, not Bill Paxton. Right. But it does not work. <laughs> Show it up, and what do you think? And and it's like, can you take it off? It's like, nah. I use a sharpie. It's like, fuck <laughs> it. I guess let's roll. All right. Yeah, it's like this for a week, man. I'm just, you know, I'm riding it. <laughs> cool. Yeah. How's that taste? We need food. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But he jumps right in, right? Like this is this is the era where he was doing these hayseed idiot th- like Chet in weird science, and you just cast him to bring a little color to the, whatever was going on, and he would just make fun of the dialogue he was given. He he had a whole different career before Aliens. He could have been a right. comedian. Yeah, yeah, he could have right. been like a reliable comic player, and he just 
I mean, he still was in his way, but like, this is a, this is the other route that not the road not taken for him. Yeah. It's where he's just like, fuck it. I'll look like an idiot. I don't care. I know yeah. he's got such a weird career. And then to think, you know, he ends up on big love, right? Like that's like, that's the thing that yeah. like, turns around and becomes his big thing at the end. Yeah. Uh, and like, he's one of my favorite parts of true lies. Like he's that so incredible yeah. in that movie. Bill Paxton. He's a delight. He's so good. I, uh, I interviewed him once. It was a phoner. Uh, was when Edge of Tomorrow came out and he was on some, I think it was some Kevin Costner project, maybe like a TV series or something. And he was poolside at the hotel in Mexico on his press day. Just like, no, it's fine. We're just talking. And I was like, this was the best 10 minutes of my day. (laughs) He was just having, just having a great time being Bill Paxton. And I think at that point, like he just, he knew what people expected him to do and he could still surprise you. But yeah, I really wanted to ask more questions about Streets of Fire, but I didn't have time. <laughs> Can we uh, chat about? Uh, I, he would have to. I just, I like. It's got to be. I, the, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by the whole process of that. Now, I do want to see the documentary, but I wish, I hope there's somebody that I can somehow meet and just like let's just let's chat this one through. You should bit. try to track down the, the the DP if he's still alive. Oh yeah, yeah. Fuck, I'm sure. He, I'm sure he's 97 by now because like all those guys in the 80s, especially. We're already in their 60s. Those are like the guys that were working at the time. Yeah, he so got there. They were 60s in the 80s, so they're probably 90. Yeah, he got all the neon and rap gifts. Yeah, I don't know if he's in the dock. They talked to they talked to a bunch of people. Like Walter Hill is there, and um, Larry Gross. They talked to some of the stunt team. They talked to uh, who else am I thinking? The costume designer. She tells great stories. Like when, well, when Diane Lane had to go on the tonight show because she was in two Coppola movies that hadn't opened yet. And that was a big deal. Um, the costume designer for streets of fire basically had to give her adult clothes because she just didn't own anything that wasn't t-shirts and, and teenager clothing. Oh, she was really a baby. She was, there's some footage of her, uh, behind the scenes. I think it's just from, you know, like the EPK at the time. And she looks 10 years younger than Ellen Aim. Just the change in lighting is just so striking that you see her looking like a child, like a teenage well, that girl. One moment on the bus um, when um, the Sorrells are singing, and she looks over with this smile and looks completely different. Yeah, she's obviously really yeah. young, and you see it in that moment. Yeah, yeah. And those guys aren't musicians; they're they're not singers. They're act- like Robert Townsend, yeah. the filmmaker, is one of them, and Grand Bush from Lethal Weapon, and just a they're just a bunch of actors seen to playback, but they're so good. Yeah. Their moves at the end are outstanding. Oh, I thought maybe they were actually like a group. They were uh, no, no, no. The guy was that the, was my favorite part of the movie. Was the, the musician scene? With, with the musician in the bar though, like the 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 biker bar, was that a real guy? That guy had seen. Yeah, that's the Blasters. They were real. They were a real band. Huh? Oh, well, the band, the band that played for her was, was right. The no, that was a real band. Okay, well, that was the, the 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 attackers. The attackers. Those are actors. They're they're miming. Although apparently well, no, they're the, miming the, very very carefully. The drama oh, looked pretty. Actually, no, they're a real band. They're the band for the person who provided the voice for Diane Lane. Oh, they're her that's actual not band. What I remember. That's what because the, the Diane Lane singing voice is. Okay, well, I'll never trust the IMDb. Um, <laughs> Diane Lane's singing voice was apparently made up of three different singers. Uh, and none of them is Diane Lane. Really Three different vocalists, one of whom may or may not have been Bonnie Tyler. It sounds like oh, Bonnie that, Tyler at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. 100%. Like, here's the, that, that last song is like a total mashup of I Need a Hero and Total yeah. Eclipse of the Heart. Like, yeah. there's, there's parts of both those songs in that final song. 
Yeah. I think you can really hear Tyler's voice in the introduction where it's just her and the piano. It's 100% Bonnie Tyler because I was, I was sitting there going, this is, it literally sounds like someone changed the lyrics to Total Eclipse of the Heart and that's upsetting for me. Well, you know the story about Total Eclipse of the Heart, right? Oh, please don't ruin it for God me. God help me. I know all of these things. Uh, it's not going to ruin it, but it was originally a song from a vampire musical that Jim Steinman worked on for years and years and years and could never get to work. Oh, I love it even more now. Yeah. Me too. Because if you listen to it, it is a song about a sad vampire who can't bite anybody in the daytime. If you listen <laughs> to the lyrics. As an emo goth in the 80s, this makes so much sense now. Yeah. It's fascinating. Now tonight, I need you more than ever. It'll only be holding. <laughs> yeah, it's one of my. It might be my favorite song of all time. It's a great uh, Jim Steinman. Um, again, rest in power. Uh, he he wrote incredible, like crescendo, crescendo, crescendo opera music for rock and roll in the seventies and for hair metal rock and roll in the seventies and eighties, and. Again, nowhere fast and and tonight is what it means to be young are they they work independently of the movie, I think, and the like it's it's kind of telling that the music videos were just the scenes from the film did, where they just threw them out there, and those did were the they videos. chart those songs at the time did were they were they did they did I'm sure they hoped that they did, but did they actually yeah. chart did the-, the biggest hit I think the only hit from the entire album was um was the Dan Hartman song "I Can Dream about You." Yeah. Which is very, very confusing to watch because in the movie, it's the Sorrells singing it. And in the video, it's suddenly Dan Hartman, who is a white gentleman. Boo. And that's his voice. That's him singing yeah. it. Well, yeah. that's how you did those things back then, Norm. Yeah. But it's really striking that they, they did not re-record the song with a black singer for the movie. That's Dan Hartman's voice in the movie, too, which is wow. very, very strange. Hmm. Huh. Yeah, it's a little, it's it's not jarring at all the first time you watch it. And then when you know, it's just like, really? Wow. Yeah. That's, oh, now I need to rewatch that scene. Yeah, yeah. You can. I, I don't regret, I do not regret that hour and a half of my life I spent. I've seen weirder movies that I didn't enjoy. Oh, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the hour I just wish sure. the lead character I liked. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wish a lot of things, but uh, I still enjoyed. I wish there was a plot. Uh, I wish there was uh, like a, like that's something that we're, we knew uh, the end game. What was the end game for that whole thing? I have just no to idea. get but away. It looked fucking super cool. But there was just so. no, there was just nothing guiding you in the sense that it's like, I mean, eventually I think we realized like, oh, they have to get home, but it's like, where's home? Cause everything's yeah, just, exactly. this, everything's where? just the city that seems to, they're like, oh, we got a couple hours away. I'm like, how big is this city? Like, I don't, where are you right now? Like, I don't no point understand. Of reference for geography, which was problematic. Like, yeah. it I could have done with less yelling at each other in a faux 50s gangster movie style Yeah, I'm going to say this. Well, if you're going to say this, I'm going to say this. And then later on, we're just going to drop that and say, um, good luck, guys. Really nice. You know, I'm going to stay here with my singer girlfriend, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, very confusing. Yeah, Rick Moranis is really doing gangster picture and nobody 100%. else is. That's so true. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly, That's okay. That's exactly he, he, what it is. He fully commits to the movie that he's yeah. in. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't not work. That's what's weird about it because like he's dressed differently from everyone else. No one else has that kind of weird bow tie dapper thing going on. Like he looks like he's a decade behind everybody else. Yeah. When your villain, again, is wearing pleather... Uh, <laughs> waiters. 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 <laughs> Hip waiters. You can get away with nothing. Those are like those are nip waiters. They go all the way up. Yeah, they're, they're not waiters. hip waiters. 
You don't, it goes straight up to the nipples. To, nothing <laughs> has to make sense anymore. It's true. No. You just, you're just, he's, you're just designing yourself to intimidate others. That's all it is. Yeah. Oh, and every time something weird happened, Mike, sure. Yeah. This tracks. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if there's a scene, if we, if you have Until to watch Willem Dafoe gel up his hair and carefully style himself, the, the, the illusion is broken. Yeah, even as soon as like when they started the sledgehammer fight, I was just like, "Oh, it's like I said, are they going to fight with those?" And I was like, "I hope so." <laughs> yeah. Okay. One last thing: they shot that fight with six cameras for eleven days. Oh, Jesus oh Christ! Oh my God! Yeah, and two hundred extras. They just went for it. It's great. It seems like you can shoot that in six hours. I'm not kidding you. We've shot things much more complicated in six fucking hours. Yeah, and but they shot like extras. They shot image by image, so they like it's just gesture by gesture, and then they'd break down, reset, do another thing. And apparently, that was the idea of keeping up the physical exertion of it without exhausting everybody. Oh, but that's why their faces are so intense. Yeah, they took it eleven days to make faces. It exhausts everybody instead. <laughs> I, I want to believe that they didn't give them like like lightweight counterpart props. Oh no, those are those are real. I'm sure those aren't props. Like those, like they're not the foam painted thing. It was 1984. Nobody did that. You could have had. A, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. Just, Here, use those. I the crew, the crew was just breaking up a wall with them, but I'm sure they'll work here. <laughs> Yeah, we we our, the lightsabers didn't show up. What do we got? Mm. <laughs> we got these like pickaxe things. You want to use them? They're, they're not like sledgehammers. They're not pickaxe or something in between. You want to use them? Yeah, it's sure. like it's, they're also from a different era, right? Like they're a tool that doesn't even get used. Seventeenth century pickaxes. <laughs> and from? and they the just who had is using those, those in that future, whatever the hell that weird future. They are. They had them at the ready for a duel. Oh, he yeah, brought them with him. The fight. He says that. He tells it. Fucking weird. They're dual uh, yeah, specific yeah. weapons. It's like and back then in the day <laughs> when you when when you challenge someone to a duel yeah. and you opened up the case awesome. of guns and the person who was challenged gets to pick the weapons. That's right. Uh, and I the, choose a flamethrower. Like it's just <laughs> it was, take this piton. That, but that, not in that today because he because he showed up and picked the weapon. Um, Here's the thing, I, I do appreciate the end of that fight because just as after, like, they're both pummeling each other in the face, I'm like, someone in this movie has to have a concussion at this point. And then <laughs> thankfully, William Defoe like, gets hit a thousand times in the head and then stumbles back and he walks over and just knocks him over. Going, yes, that, 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 the mo- that thing, that's the most thing that makes sense in this movie. That he just pushes him down? Yeah. That was crazy. That fight, that is crazy shit. Of course, they they rebuilt Chicago in L.A. because Lothar Hill didn't want to go to Chicago. How many days did they shoot on that? If they shot that for 11 days. They shot, uh, the whole thing was apparently five months. So I got to tell you, Norm, I think you're closer with the budget than you think because I read somewhere that they went 14 million over budget. Okay. Somewhere close to 30 million. That would make much more sense because the listings, I've had 40 in my head and I don't know why for years and years and years. And then the listings we all saw last week were 14.5. But if that's the overage, then that like twice the budget would make sense. That would push it up to 30. How do you go that? I, it's like, How I'm just allowed. I live in a world <laughs> where it's like, you don't get those. Yeah. Things. You get, you, if you go yeah. 5,000 over on the day, you look really bad. Like right. 14 million. But again, like you make 48 hours and you transform a genre. Like you invent an action comedy that still works now, 40 years later. And then Universal comes calling and says, what do you want to do? 
you get to do whatever you want. I mean, you, I mean and they shot it all on stages. It was all like, it was all safe, I guess, to the, to the studio that anything else they threw at it would just add yeah. to the eventual pile of money they get back. And it just well, that did but, not I happen. Mean, wow. They were watching the rushes, right? I mean, someone, <laughs> they could see what yeah, we were watching. Cool. There wasn't like something else going on. That's like been lost. <laughs> did they, did they, they, must they cut out a whole, Sorry. Yeah, they they delivered uh, they delivered the rushes every day with an eight ball of coke and like do the eight ball. <laughs> yeah. Do the coke yeah. first. It's and not then. a play it loud situation. It's a watch it baked or blazed situation. <laughs> yeah, don't so watch these though. in the morning first. Thing. <laughs> but yeah, it tested terribly. They didn't. <coughs> excuse me. They didn't know how to release it, so they just went with the original plan, which was this stone faced. Um, very, very serious. You've seen the trailer, right? Like it's no. very serious. Oh, um, I was wondering how they marketed it. Serious? This. The trailer? Oh yeah, super serious trailer guy voice. They've got the music, but it's like Streets of Fire, and it, it's it's not, it's not what the movie is. I mean, what? the movie there is a kind of like the Ry Cooter tracks are super straight, like bluesy serious music, but the movie is so like dementedly different from what it thinks it is. That, yeah, yeah, right. That's yeah, the right. sell to me. You're like, absolutely right. I got to yeah. watch the trailer now, but just the way you describe it, I'm like, I was like, in my brain, I'm like, you could cut a million different trailers and then it, and I'd be able to say, yeah, that represents this movie because this is Fair. weird, except for that version. Right. <laughs> yeah. Where you're going straight yeah, like drama. Serious one, yeah, straight drama would not cut it. They kind of went for like the, the iconography of it, a hero, a girl, a villain, that kind of thing. And it's just like, yes, but like it's... it's bonkers yeah you need to you need to let people know just how ridiculous it is like if you opened it if my ideal trailer for this would be the like for the most part it would just be ellen aim and the attackers playing nowhere fast just to give you a sense of the energy of that song and then that that moment where the light comes up on willem dafoe and he looks like you know a vampire that walked in from the sunlight or something and that's where I would cut it and, and then just say, Streets of Fire, you really need to see the rest of this movie. <laughs> yeah. Because we can't work. explain it to you. Well, you just intercut some of the... Like, there's awesome action in this movie. So you just mm-hmm. intercut some of that. Intercut a, a, two shots from a sledgehammer fight and some... A couple of motorbikes blowing up. You know. Yeah. That, that, shots of them uh, running through all the steam. The girl with the... Uh, the dancer girl with uh, mm-hmm. the, lots of... Uh, the, what, Mesh. The mesh, the mesh dancer. There we go. A little, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, uh, ten frame, ten frames of her. You know, Damn. she's in there. So that's how you get bums in seats. Yeah, it's just, it's an unquantifiable, like personal vision that doesn't cohere at all, but is still somehow pure and what it wanted to be. Like I, I don't doubt that Walter Hill made the movie he wanted to make. Like this is oh. only possible if you have final cut and total control. Yeah. I mean, I I'm curious what like adventure two looks like in the Tom Cody. Did, 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 are they written? Did he write no, them? Or I don't no? think so. No, I don't. He like, didn't write this would, barely. <laughs> would, would, would like McCoy have shown up as his, yeah. Well, this, so, was, yeah. this was, I mean, it's like, this is like his Mad Max, right? That's clearly what he was going for. He was, he was it was like his man without a f- name. You know, he wanted, like, he was going to go town to town and, you know, fix stuff up. I, I, I imagine like, like, the, like next, the littlest hobo. I guess. Like, but with a sledgehammer. Yeah. <laughs> the next, and that car still that he stole from the, <laughs> right. the, guy, the, the greasers. 
Uh, yeah. But yeah, the next city would have been something maybe totally different than what we saw here, like a totally different visual, which would have been kind of cool. I, w- I wouldn't want to watch uh, Michael Perret in it, but I would be... Uh, you really hated him, eh? I, I, he's, I just find him. He's, he's totally nothing. He's a non-thing. <laughs> and then he's, he like, he's what then you he... call in Jewish parva. He's not meat and he's not milk. He's nothing. He's <laughs> like a dry like, matzah. He's fine. It's, oh, that's just it. He's exactly <laughs> that. He's fine. He's like, he can stand upright and deliver a line. <laughs> With yeah, his, I, his voice is uh, I could have done his, his part, voice. And I'm, I'm aware of my acting limitations. I could listen to his voice all day long. He could read me a story or something. Sure. No, but, because but every line was in like... the opening scene, his voice does not fit his face. <laughs> no, it does not at all. It's, it's, <laughs> his face looks nothing like his voice. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> and, and again, the problem is that you really want to follow Diane Lane. You want to know what Ellen Aim is up to in the sequel, not... Cody, because you know he's just going around punching people. I want to know what happens to her career. I yeah. I would actually love to watch a straight drama with Ellen Aim and and Billy Fish and yeah. the world that they inhabit, because clearly there is more to it than just this one theater. Or maybe that is it. There is just this one theater, and let's see what that means. And what happens to like the the blonde frizzy haired sidekick girl who like the she becomes a roadie? What happens to her? Like yeah, I'm more. That was the weirdest part. I swear, I swear she had probably had a bigger part and they cut her out or something. Yeah, like, I feel like she ended up on the floor. Yeah, it's actually the reverse. Uh, E.G. Daly wanted to do more, so they wrote that one scene where she talks about the lyrics. Like she had nothing to do, and they gave her more. And then she's around in that scene where he's like, "What the hell are you still doing?" And she's like, "Oh, you're right. I'm going to go." And then that, like, <laughs> she was she supposed to be in that scene too? I guess that was that. That was basically it. She was there to have another like another musician just to sort of the place that Ellen had come from. So she's, she's on the way up and not a star yet. But uh, as, as much as I like E.G. Daly, like the contrast between her and Lane, and I think she was older than Diane Lane too at the time. Um, or, and still would be, but the, um, the <laughs> contrast is just so weird because whatever this thing is that everybody's reacting to, we only see it in Ellen. We only see Ellen right. aim as this megastar. Nobody else even exists. That's right. sort of the whole point. That's why Raven comes and steals her. Raven, awesome. but that's it, right? Like that's the the same thing I mean. Names, yeah. You invest so much in archetype that you forget to have characters. It's actually Richard like, Raven. It's true. Ricky the only Raven. like the only really cool names in this movie are Stuart Dave. Stuart Raven, Dave Raven, Dave Raven. Uh, Raven, and Billy Fish, and everyone else is kind of a boring name. Billy Fish's name is pretty cool. Ellen Ames, yeah. Yeah, all the names are not bad. It sounds like a rock star name. I mean, it makes yeah, me think of like that Brian Lee O'Malley kind of aped that for Envy Adams for in Scott Pilgrim. Like, I wonder. I wouldn't be surprised. Thing going on there. Yeah, yeah. I could see that. But yeah, the uh, the only thing, the only other thing I know about um, Ellen Aim and the Attackers is that they are they show up on a list of bands in um, uh, the Adventures of Ford Fairlane, that Jewel Silver movie with Andrew Dice Clay. The oh my God. set in the recording industry, they're on a list. They're like, there's this computer printout or something. And oh, yeah. you see very quickly Ellen Aim and the Attackers go by. And I was the only person in the theater who said, aw, <laughs> as that's who I am. I was also Aww. the only person in the theater for the adventures of Fort Fairlight, but it was a press screening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. There was well, no so it was like, I'm that. still trying to make that. At least somebody got it. I'm still know? trying to make the money back. <laughs> Joe Silver walks in Universal and they still they still shit on him for that. They're like, well, you know, one time. It's like, come on. I made a lot of movies. I, I, I gave of- you The Matrix. I gave you Die Hard. It's like, yeah, yeah, but come on. Also <laughs> that. Also that. It's like, oh. Yeah. Joe Silver's still making movies? He's still around? He still I think so. 
I mean, the company still exists anyway. Silver Pictures. They do a lot of television these days, I think. Okay. Yeah, as you do. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's where you diversify too. So, so final thoughts on Street to Fire. I, I still I, like it. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed every second of it. There, there's, it's, I don't really, like, I, like, like, the, like, like we're saying this entire time, the, the plot didn't matter to me. It looked really visually interesting. It was yeah. fun to watch. You and Walter Hill are on the same it was, page. Uh, it was, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not going to, I couldn't tell anyone what it was, it was about. I have no fucking clue, really. Uh, <laughs> but I enjoyed, I enjoyed it. Well, the story sure. was simple. It was like, like Norman said, the original pitch is the, the soldier boy stuff. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it was simple enough, but not, it was just didn't, I, I liked it just from an enjoyment point of view. I never need to revisit it, but it was <laughs> like, it was, I, I've seen weirder movies that I liked less. Yeah. Especially in the eighties, there's so many weird plot, like weird, just stylized movies for the base, for the sake of style and, and no substance. There's lots of those in the eighties. So this was what makes it this that much different than, this this is actually just more stylized if that's what you're looking for yeah i just kept thinking where is the grown-up human who's in a producer role who's not yelling what the fuck is this (laughs) what are we doing and why are we spending so much money on it no the answer was 48 hours yeah same production team the same producers they just like they went right along with them because you know that's what happens um what was i gonna say the yeah like the same year I want to say 1984 was the year Buckaroo Banzai came out. Yeah. And it was just a question of months between the two. And that's what I always hold up in comparisons. Like Buckaroo Banzai is just as weird, just as impenetrable, just as distinctive and idiosyncratic and just as eccentric to watch with a cast of people who will go on to do stuff that just like fires out all over the place. The difference between the two films is that Buckaroo Banzai never takes itself seriously. And so you are so allowed good. to joy, to enjoy it and laugh alongside of it. Right, right, right. And Streets of Fire is the movie. I love it because of how seriously it takes itself <laughs> and how ridiculous it is. But it is a lot harder to get a bunch of people in a theater on board with that. Yeah. And I think yeah. that was the problem. It was just too difficult to sell. And then people didn't go. Like the word of mouth killed it on the first weekend. Yeah, they, they should they should have sold it as like this is fucking fun to watch. That's all you need to know. Just go watch a fun weird movie. Go, but they could have they could have like also it whilst making it camped it up a bit. If they'd made it campier, yeah, it would have totally worked. Yeah, leaned into it. Leaned into that yeah. style a bit more. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I always wonder. I th- I think like part of its charm to me is how like how dumb stone-faced everybody is and just how only a couple of characters get to puncture it. But yeah, if it was, if there was more of a sense of fun to it, if there was more of a sense of play, absolutely. It would have, I think, pulled people in and, and let them enjoy it. On the other hand, like those Jim Steinman songs need super seriousness. He does not do arch. No. And so I wonder like if you, if it means giving up nowhere fast and tonight is what it means to be young. I don't know that I'd make that trade. Of course, yeah. you know, I didn't lose a dime on this thing. I just I own the Blu-ray. <laughs> I dug it. I mean, I dug it. I think with a like a stronger, more dynamic lead, the movie would have been better. Right. Really? So <laughs> yeah, who would you have cast in this? Wouldn't 1990? have been worse. But, but, but I'm saying, like, it, it's just so what it is. Nothing could have changed that. Not not one person could have changed what that thing became, you know? There's Casting that one character does not change how fucking weird that movie was. You put like <laughs> someone that's like charming, and you put like someone like George Clooney in that part. 
And that's like a powerhouse. You, he would do something magical with that. He was seven. I'm not, doing, uh, <laughs> not younger than me, motherfucker. He was doing the, uh, what was that, the, the tomato movie? Uh, was, oh, Return of the Killer Tomatoes. That's like 87, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he, was, he was working. He was on the facts of life, probably. I'm just saying that there are, you can't say that casting that role differently wouldn't have changed the movie. Yeah, like I don't, I don't know that Tom Berenger does a worse job. He's saying that the the director is saying it would have changed the goddamn movie. No, yes, the neon would have still been there, Rob. No, I just don't (laughs) think it's so fucking weird. I'm just saying, like you can't one one. He has like 18 lines in the entire movie, probably (laughs) because they cut them all out because he's terrible. Terrible. They they cut anything out. I think that's like they probably gave him more. They gave him that one more scene, and then when they're walking and they're talking about their lives. They gave him more because he just didn't help. He didn't to help. assault her, and they were trying to humanize him. <laughs> you know, it it occurs to me like Bill Paxton is right there. What's that? 1984 Bill Paxton is right there, and oh, you put yeah. him in. You cast him as Tom oh. Cody, and you still kind of get a movie. Like, that might have that might have done it. I don't know. It wouldn't have been worse, <laughs> is all I'm saying. I'm not saying it would have like transformed the movie and they would have got their trilogy. That's probably still not happening. I'm just no, saying no. I hope those still I hope that I hope that one day that we see that it's in production, the second Streets of Fire 2 would be amazing to see that. Streets are also on fire. Yeah. Streets still on fire. <laughs> Additional streets of fire. fire. <laughs> yeah. Oh shit. Streets on fire again. I'd watch it. I'd go. I know I would. Oh, I know you oh, would, yeah, Norm. I'd make that movie just for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. Oh, this is my pleasure. I'm so glad I could corrupt more souls. Let's all go to thanks for joining us for Streets of Fire. Black Hole Films is a proud member of the That Shelf Podcast Network. You can listen to other episodes of our show and other That Shelf podcasts on thatshelf.com. Please subscribe, leave comments, spread the word, do all the things that let others know you like the show and how they can check it out. You can find me on Twitter, at Lon Jeremy, and go to Facebook and join the group Black Hole Films. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.